Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that we will consider today is our Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 22. Please rise as we hear the first two verses of that passage again. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Weddings, at least in the U.S., are big business. One website says that that the wedding business every year in this country is a $70.2 billion industry. That's a lot of money. It didn't always used to be that way. It wasn't until like the 1920s through the 1950s that, that businesses started targeting brides and bridegrooms-to-be, telling them, convincing them that their weddings had to be bigger and, and better and more elaborate and even perhaps a destination wedding. And so the average cost of a wedding in this country is now around $30,000. I look at that figure and I'm very glad that our daughters were married when the average was much lower. And, And our budget, of course, was even lower than the average. But let's talk about another aspect of weddings, the invitation. You get an invitation that that invites you to a wedding and, and you have to decide, do I go or not? Maybe it's for a, a close relative or a really good friend. And, and maybe to you it's just kind of an automatic that, yeah, sure, we're going to go to the wedding. But what if that invitation comes from a distant relative or just someone who's an acquaintance? Well, maybe then you kind of weigh the pros and cons. You figure out, well, what's it going to take to go to this wedding? Do we really want to go? And, and you're not as quick to, to hit that yes on the RSVP. Come to the wedding. But you actually get to make a choice there. In Jesus' day, in New Testament times, weddings were a big deal, even if you weren't among the rich and famous. Weddings tended to be kind of an elaborate affair when it came to the banquet that went afterwards, sometimes lasting an entire week. And weddings were generally a community affair. Everybody in the community was invited to the wedding. And you were pretty much expected to be there. An even bigger deal was a wedding involving somebody from a king's family. And the king typically would invite everybody in his kingdom, or at least in the immediate area, to come. And the the preparations for that wedding would be very elaborate. They would go all out with that. No expense spared. And the king expected you to be there. Come to the wedding banquet. Really wasn't as much an invitation as it was kind of an order. Now the events depicted in this parable that Jesus tells about the the wedding banquet have some parallels to the parable we heard last week about the, the parable of the vineyard. In that parable, the focus really was on how God was patient with his people. And the focus in this parable about the wedding banquet really has to do with with God's amazing grace and how gracious he is to his people. Come to the wedding banquet, God says, because everything 
is ready. Again, the king in the parable spared no expense. He says, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. That's what he told the servants to go out and proclaim. The wedding banquet in this parable represents being in God's kingdom, being one of his followers. And what has God done to prepare? To make sure that, that everything is ready for this wedding banquet, for you to be a part of his wedding banquet. What has he done to make sure that, that you are one of his followers? Well, nothing other than making sure that the history of the entire world was all done according to his plan. That is, making sure that the history of the world after the fall into sin has gone according to his plan. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't want them to, to fall into sin. He didn't want them to blow it, separating themselves from their loving God by, by running down some path that supposedly was going to, to mean their happiness and their fulfillment, a path that instead would end in death instead of an improved life. But, but once they did, once they had fallen prey to Satan's lies and they plunged headlong into sin, then God started the preparations. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he told the devil, and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The preparations for the wedding banquet were underway. And throughout the next 4,000 years or so, the time of the Old Testament, the preparations continued. More promises, giving more details about God's plan. More miraculous rescues of his people. More assurances that he had his people's best interests in mind. That he would do everything necessary to make sure that they not only survived, but, but they thrived. More opportunities for his people to recognize what an, what an awesome and, and wonderful God that they had. We heard that in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 25. Look, here is our God. We waited for him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then everything was indeed ready for the wedding banquet when God sent his son into this world. When he sent him into this world and Jesus lived a life without any sin. And then he took that perfect life and he went to the cross to pay the penalty that we owed to God. And then he rose from the dead. Then the king could say, come, come to the wedding banquet. And that's when the invitation went out. That's when God announced to all of those who had been invited, especially his chosen people of Israel, all things are ready. Because they were. Because they are. What more was left to be done? God had said that, that the penalty for sin was death. And Jesus had come and taken care of that penalty. And because he's the king's son, because he is God's son, his payment is good for all people of all times, of all places. And to prove that Jesus' sacrifice was enough, to prove that that his payment was good for everybody, 
God raised his son from the dead. Come to the wedding banquet. But how was that invitation received by the king's subjects? Well, yes, there were some Jews who believed, some Jews who accepted that invitation. You think about the the 12 apostles. They were all Jews. Jesus did most of his work, most of his miracles, his teaching among the Jewish people. And there were some that believed in him. And at times there were crowds of people that would follow after Jesus and, and some would believe in him. But for the most part, most rejected him. Most said, you're not the Savior we were hoping for. You're an imposter. You're a blasphemer for calling yourself God's son. We're going to, we're going to wait. We're going to wait till you're gone so that we can wait for our true Savior. By doing this, they rejected the king's invitation to the wedding banquet. Those who were invited paid no attention and went off, one to his own farm, another to his business. And after this overall rejection of the invitation, God decided to to expand the reach of it. He says to his servants, go to the main crossroads and invite as many as you can find to the wedding banquet. Go, the king said, go and find even more people that you can invite. Does that sound familiar? Before his ascension to heaven, what did Jesus tell his followers? He told them, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Come to the wedding banquet. Yes, that invitation has gone out again. And we see the results of that invitation since those first believers took that message of Jesus and they took it out into the world because the church, the Christian church, has grown. In the last 2,000 years, you think about how the church has grown. The Christians make up one quarter of the world's population. They're, we're the most populous religious group on the earth. And that invitation still goes out from our king. Do you hear it? Actually, every time you come here to church, you hear that that invitation because you hear God's word come to the wedding banquet he says he makes that invitation every time that he invites you to confess your sins perhaps your sins of of at times ignoring that that invitation and and saying I've got better things to do but when you do confess your sins I because I have been called to do this I forgive you in the name of Jesus And by his command and in his stead, your sins are forgiven. And you hear that invitation when you hear his word, when we hear the word read to us. Think about how today we heard it in Isaiah when he tells us that he has swallowed up death forever, when he tells us that his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as we heard in Philippians. God makes that invitation to you every time that you remember what he has done for you in your baptism. That the Holy Spirit has taken your sins, washed them away completely, making you one of his own. You hear that invitation when he says, come to the supper. Come to the supper that Jesus instituted for us. The supper through which we receive his very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. 
So much of what we do in our worship, really, we're hearing that invitation. Come to the wedding banquet. And you also bring that invitation to others. Now, I'm not just talking about the times that maybe you invite a family member or a friend to come to church. That's definitely part of it. But you're extending that invitation every time that you read a Bible story to your child or your grandchild. Every time that you share a devotion with your spouse. Every time you forgive your spouse for, for something they've done against you. Every time that you show Christian love and mercy to your neighbor. Every time you show compassion to someone who's down and out. I don't have to tell you to make that invitation because you're doing it. Come to the wedding banquet. Now let's talk about the ending part of this parable. It's a little bit striking, maybe a little disturbing, that part about the man at the wedding banquet who didn't have the right clothes on and he gets kicked out. Um, it's especially striking because he gets tied up and thrown out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you in danger of that fate? What does this part of the parable represent anyway? Well, I've already said that being at the wedding banquet really represents being a Christian, someone who is a follower of God. But there are people, perhaps at the banquet, who don't belong. Sort of like how in the church, in the visible church, there are people who maybe aren't true believers. Maybe they're not in the church, the, the invisible church. That is, we can't see into people's hearts. That's something only God can do. So if you tell me that you're a Christian, that you believe in Jesus for your salvation, unless I have really good ev evidence to the contrary, I'm going to believe you. But are there people, maybe even people in our little flock here at Bethany, that aren't true Christians, that really don't believe? I pray that that is not the case. I hope that's not. But it is possible. So on the last day when the king comes and, and he's making it clear who is in his kingdom and who's not, who belongs at the wedding banquet and, and who doesn't, you want to make sure that you have the right clothes on. But you don't have to worry about trying to figure out where those clothes are. How can I get them? I don't need to go run out shopping to find those clothes because you already have those clothes. As a blood-bought, baptized child of God, you have the wedding clothes that you need to be at the wedding banquet. In Isaiah 61, we read, My soul will celebrate because of my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. With a robe of righteousness, he has covered me. When you were baptized, that, that robe of righteousness, that robe that Jesus earned for you with his perfect life, that robe was put on to you. You became a blood-bought child of God. You belong at the wedding banquet. You belong among God's guests. You're not going to be thrown out into the outer darkness. You are, you see, among the chosen. That's how Jesus closed that parable. Many are called, but few are chosen. 
Many are called. The, the invitation goes out to everyone. Come to the wedding banquet. Many are called. But not everybody accepts that invitation. Not everybody has been chosen. God chose some in eternity before time began. God chose some to believe in him, to be his people. But why only some? We can't answer that question. The Bible doesn't tell us the answer to that question. We only know what the Bible does say, that if you are a believer, if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, then yes, in eternity, God chose you to be his own. And then in time, he made you one of his own through your baptism or through, uh, through his word later in life. At that time, he wrapped you up in that robe of righteousness, designating you as one of his own people, giving you those clothes that you need to be at his wedding banquet. Come to the wedding banquet. Aren't you glad that you've been blessed to hear that invitation? Are there people in your life who need to, to hear that invitation? Are there people that you know that, that need to know that God has done everything necessary for their eternal salvation? That he's done everything necessary by sending his son who has worked out everything for their salvation. Could God use you to share his invitation with others so that more people can hear that invitation? Come to the wedding banquet. What a blessing that we have been invited to that wedding banquet by God. What a blessing that he has made us a part of that banquet by bringing us to himself, by covering us in the proper clothes making us his own people. What a blessing that we can share that invitation with others. Amen.